Here at the Just Baseball Show, we like to take an entirely different approach to covering baseball from everybody else. And we like doing things uh, as trailblazers. We like we like trying something first. So we're going to do something that has never been done before and will not be replicated by any other outlet in all of baseball. You ready, Arm Layton? Yes. We're going to spend the next 90 minutes talking about the left field dimensions at Camden Yards. <laughs> I, I that one slipped under the cracks. I didn't even see it. I didn't even know they did it. Yeah. This is some hard hitting stuff. Yeah. They tried, they tried to sneak it in during the lockout. What was the purpose? I don't know. Let me do let me do a show intro and then we can get into that because we have a lot to get through. We're going to talk about the lockout. We're going to give you the update on what the hell happened on Thursday when the Union and Major League Baseball met what it looks like moving forward. We're also going to recap the career of a legend that you listened to. And we're also just going to talk about some other baseball stuff, do some housekeeping before we get into Padres week this week. But happy Monday, everybody. This is the Just Baseball Show. Jack McMullen, Aram Layton, Camden Yards, moving left field back about 30 feet and making the wall 12 feet high instead of seven feet high. What do you take away from that? They want it to be harder to hit home runs, obviously, but like if that just tells me our offense isn't great, so let's uh, let's just make it a little bit more difficult. I get, I, I don't get it. I guess they want to play to the pitching strength. Like the Marlins did the same shit. They did the same shit when they when they built the new stadium, made it the biggest pitchers park on planet Earth, and it was boring. And guess what they did, Jack? They moved the walls in. And they lowered the walls. I, I get it. Camden Yards is fourth in park factor. Uh, so, you know, that puts them right behind the Cincinnati Reds. But it's not like this was some egregious situation here where just balls were getting out left and right. The way they positioned it was was like pretty funny. They were just saying like, yeah, balls that we weren't expecting to leave the yard were leaving the yard and it was getting out of hand. You know, maybe that's because your pitching sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's just Dean Kramer. That's, that's the problem, right? I, was I don't say, think it's the walls. No, I was going to say, so the Orioles led Major League Baseball, or I guess were last in Major League Baseball, however you want to look at it. Their pitchers surrendered 155 home runs in 81 home games. That's nearly two homers a game. But that, that's not because Matt Harvey's in the rotation, right? That's not because Matt Harvey made 28 starts, right? I don't, I just don't think Keegan Aiken is making this any better. Like, think about it. The only guy that you can't use as the butt of this joke is John Means right now. Like, if you said Keegan Aiken, Dean Kramer, Matt Harvey, we've already used those three names. We can throw Cesar Valdez out there. You know what the funniest part is? What? John Means gave up the most homers out of all of those guys. (laughs) 30. 30. So maybe, like, maybe they're saying like, oh, we'll move the walls back and John Means will turn into the ace that Peter Apple always thought he would be. But you, you look at the rest of, of these guys, you look at the, so I'll take you through. John Means, 30 home runs allowed. Matt Harvey, 19 allowed. Uh, Jorge Lopez, 21 home runs allowed. Yep. Keegan Aiken, 
17 home runs allowed. Bruce Zimmerman, which Bruce Zimmerman, uh, 14. <laughs> Dean Kramer, 17. They even had a reliever who gave up nine. And then, dude, they've got guys that didn't even pitch that much. Adam Plutko gave up 17. Spencer Watkins gave up 14. Oh, my God. 258 home runs allowed. Yet 155 coming at home. So, like, pretty normal. Like, it's not that great. That wasn't that big of a, of a home fit. Like, is it no, that much? It's, it's 20 more. It's 24 more than the Cubs surrendered. And the Cubs gave up the second most home runs at home this past year. Okay. So, 155 to 131. Granted, like, you have far and away the shittiest pitching staff in baseball. It's yeah, not even close. Yeah, it's, it's not close. And it's just, I, I get it. Like they want to make it a little bit more balanced, I guess. But what's the purpose of doing it? I, I just don't totally understand. I don't have a problem with it. Like, right away, it's, it's funny. But it, like, yes, the more I think about the numbers, 155 home runs allowed at home versus 103 on the road. I guess that's what they're looking at, right? Yeah, but I, like, I isn't the solution sitting there in Bowie and Norfolk right now with G-Rod and D.L. Hall? Yeah, right. Uh, but I guess they're like, okay, we're, we want them to play up even more. I don't know. I don't, I don't totally get it. I just, I, I don't think there's a brick and mortar solution to this problem. I, I don't think you have to move the walls back. I think it's just get better pitching. Well, the, the funniest part about this too, is, is that the Orioles are, are ridiculously cheap uh, to the point where I, I brought this up on the podcast a few times over the last year, but they asked Trey Mancini and I forget who else it was. might've been Pedro Severino. Was it Santander? <laughs> or it might've been sound. It was one of those guys to defer their like $3 million salary for that season. They're like, guys, we're, we're really pinched right now because of the 2020 situation. Uh, would you be willing to defer your $3 million? And they're like, no, <laughs> like, no, I want so it. I'd imagine that this whole procedure here costs a little bit of money. Costs yeah. Little- but it's, it's a T chart, right? Like it's, it's cost benefit analysis here. So if you spend the money on the outfield renovations, uh, how much do you think they pumped into that? 1.5 million. Uh, you would have to pay a pitcher 3 million and this renovation lasts forever. I mean, you spread this thing out. Uh, I read somewhere on Twitter, I I'm blanking on who pointed this out, but PNC park, when they were building their ballpark, they leaned on Camden yards for some, uh, influence there. Um, it's pretty obvious that Camden yards just got some inspiration from PNC park and how it, how it jets in near the line. That's how Camden Yards is going to look. So if you picture what happens in left at PNC Park, that's yeah. kind of what it's going to look like with a bigger wall and a deeper wall. In totally. And I actually kind of think that's fun, though. I, I am kind yeah. of excited for that. I'm looking at it. This looks like mayhem. It, yeah. <laughs> straight down the line, straight down the line, you got the foul pole. But then right after the foul pole, jets diagonally straight out. So that, that's a pain. If, if I'm Anthony Santander, I, I feel like he's playing more right. Whoever the hell's playing left, I'm pissed right now. I was going to say, like, if I'm Ryan Mountcastle, I'm demanding a trade because not only are you backing up my power wall by 30 feet, you're also making my life hell when you slap me out and left. And he sucks out there. Yeah. So like, it, it, yeah. it made it way worse. So it goes, it jets out diagonally. Then there's like this corner. So it kind of goes back in diagonally a little bit too, giving you an edge then goes flat, you know, basically just directly facing the outfield, but then goes straight in, like straight towards you. 
And then when, and I'm thinking about that, like if you're, if you're Cedric Mullins, like you're running into, into left center, there's a literal like jet out and yeah. then it goes back in. We're going to get inside the park home run in, in Baltimore next year, for sure. To left, like to down left. the left field line, left. down the left field line inside the park home run. Like if it hits that wall, just right, it's going to, it's going to ride it and just go all the way into center field. If you could hit one right on like that rolls to the wall, it's going to roll all the way around and like send it into center field like a like a pinball machine. Dude, honestly, if you want to grow the game, give me more triples down the left field line. Pinball. Like just make it a pinball machine. Pinball. So, you know what? They're just looking out for the game. I'm in. I'm in. Hey, we said we were going to go 90 with the outfield wall dimensions talk. We're uh we're going about 7 minutes and I already think it's too long. Um, let's move on to a guy that you listen to all the time. I listened to um when I was really trying to get into calling games because he's so good at it. Mm-hmm. Dave Van Horn just hung it up. I mean, this yeah. guy, longtime voice of the Marlins, Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins. He was the voice of the fish for 21 years. Before that, he was the inaugural voice of the Montreal Expos for 33 years, 56 years in a baseball booth. He won the Ford C Frick award, which is given to um, one of the broadcasters that makes a tremendous in- impact on baseball every year. So, uh, he was enshrined in Cooperstown as the winner of the Ford Frick Award in 2011. Dave Van Horn at 82 years old, hanging it up. Hell of a career. You got good uh, Dave Van Horn memories? Oh, man. You know, it, tip of the cap to Dave Van Horn. Wonderful career. You know, that's one of those, you know, how, how people's voices can kind of take you back and, and memories and, and is, is like weird as it sounds. Um driving in my dad's car, you know, we would come back from baseball practice and he would, my dad would always take me to baseball practice after a long day of work. My dad, you know, would work nine to six, right. Pick me up at school from my high school or middle school practice, and then take me to my travel practice, which is why I have arm problems. It's for absolutely sidebar. And, you know, like we'd be coming back at like eight o'clock and, you know, we'd always throw it on in the car and, Dave Van Horn's voice, honestly, like it took me a little while to be able to listen to the games on the radio again, because it would take me into the car with my dad. Uh, and, and I recently was listening again and was able to kind of get back to doing that. But, you know, he was just always so good. My dad and I would always listen to the games, 40 minute drive back from practice to home, or we'd be, you know, on the road, go into a tournament, whatever it may be. And my favorite thing about him is I always think it's hard to have your own home run call. I always mm-hmm. think it's kind of corny at this yeah. point because you're just going to have something that's either already been done or you're trying too hard or it's weird. This was always up, up and away. And I was like my favorite thing in the world. I just, I thought it was simple. He was excited. It was just natural. And uh, he, he was, he was phenomenal, had a great career and a guy that probably could have went to a bigger market, but seemed to just love what he had going on in Miami. So it, there are a couple that, aren't too gimmicky for me up up in a way was one of those that was not too gimmicky for me it was the perfect signature call Dwayne Carp Dwayne Kuyper it is out of here yeah that is signature and it's awesome I can't get enough of that I know it's coming see ya with Michael K really pisses me off because he holds the s forever see ya like I don't need that um Gary Cohen it's out of here is awesome yeah. Uh, and then John Miller, the adios pelota. Like that is yeah. phenomenal. Too. John Miller, John Miller could do it, whatever he wants. He could do whatever he wants. And, uh, but, and I know you and I differentiate on this one, but Santa Maria can, can get out of here. 
Matt Vasgersian. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I like great guy, but but no, I, I'm not a fan of that one. Yeah, I I think he's doing a better job picking his spots right now because he doesn't do it every time. Uh, Victor Rojas, also a longtime voice of the uh, LA Angels, had the big fly going, and yeah. that was big time That's in our intro that's in our intro it is in our intro um but yeah i think i think dave van horn up up in a way is is totally up there and that guy you know you would turn him on uh i would get in the habit of whenever i was listening to a cubs or white Sox game always had pat hughes and ed farm always always i could always turn to them but when i got more interested in this when i got more interested in like actually pursuing that craft I wanted to listen to everybody else. So the MLB at bat app was beautiful because you can choose the different game, like audio file for each side. Mm -hmm. So whenever the Cubs were playing the Marlins, I would turn on Dave Van Horn and Glenn Geffner, who is phenomenal. I was going to say Geff is awesome. And I'm really excited about him. I'm I'm assuming he's going to take over there. And and Geff is great. I'm so pumped for him. Such a nice guy has made himself available to me through the years. Oh yeah. uh, Phone calls and, uh, just being able to pick his brain and through when I was trying to figure out what my path was. So incredibly nice guy and a great broadcaster as well, who I think, you know, takes a little bit of his own angle, but I think I'm sure has absorbed plenty of Van Horn through the years as well. 100%. And I love those guys. Glenn Gaffner, another guy yet yeah, totally available with his time. And he's always gracious. I've, I've had the chance to talk to him a couple of times just because he's a Northwestern guy. And, you know, yep. you got that Chicago connection going here, but Geff is great because he likes the advanced analytics. He also used some of that tutelage from Dave Van Horn there. Uh, like you see with Jeff Dick or uh, Dan Dickerson, uh, who took some stuff from Ernie Harwell in Detroit. Dan Dickerson is amazing uh, as the voice of the Tigers. Like these are just guys that you pick up on. And now with baseball as this national international thing, you have the local broadcast, but local is not a thing anymore because of this app. And it's kind of beautiful. I used to go to sleep, dude. I would uh, in the Cape when I was in the Cape, my first full season broadcasting, I'd, I'd put my head on the pillow and I'd, I'd fly around on the app, listen to different people, listen to different games. And I go to sleep. Sometimes I fall asleep with it, with it on. And uh, it's, it's really cool. I, I highly recommend it for people that there's something different about taking in baseball from, from the radio side. Of course mm-hmm. you want to watch the game. And I love to watch the game more than listen, obviously, uh, when I'm when it comes down to it. But every once in a while, mix in just a radio call for a couple innings and you'll really appreciate all the little intricacies that it brings to. And it's so much fun. Hey, best of both worlds on your laptop or on your smart TV, you have audio options and you can overlay the radio call with the visual there. Really? It's kind of nice. I would love to do that because radio calls are always better. I'll teach you how to do that. Um, let's talk about the lockout because we should be hearing these voices on the radio uh, in due time. Hopefully, hopefully at the beginning of April. I don't know if we're there or not. Here's the latest in that department. Uh, I pulled a lot from Bob Nightingale with USA Today. Bob Nightingale, uh, you know, maybe may off at times with the news breaking stuff. Uh, but when he's got to cover a lockout, I think Bob Nightingale is is one of the key sources at doing so. He said, I'm just going to run through this and then we'll we'll take it. I'm going to spit out a lot of information at you guys. And then Arm and I are going to try and decipher bit by bit here. So according to Bob Nightingale, the meeting between Major League Baseball and the Players Union lasted a little bit more than an hour this go around. And it happened via video call. 
Uh, Also, according to Bob Nightingale, Major League Baseball pitched three things to the players union that the union had previously brought up to the ownership group. So Major League Baseball proposed significant pay increase for players with two years of service who still aren't eligible for arbitration. However, and I'm going to need you to explain this to me, there's a certain group of 30 or so players right now who are like in the upper levels of service time, but wouldn't be eligible. They're called super two players who have like between two and three years of service time right now. Mm -hmm. What's the deal there? So super twos is unique. And I might even butcher it to a small degree, but my my understanding on super two is that if you're a player in in that group that you just identified, but to get into that smaller portion, I think it's like 22% of the players. If you're in the top 22%, of players who would be on the cusp of arbitration eligible in terms of days of service yeah. of, and this kind of contributes to the service time manipulation side of things too, because if you're on, on the high end in terms of how much you've played through those two years, you're identified as a super two guy. So top 22% rounded to the nearest whole number in total service time in the class of players who have at least two, but less than three years of major league service time. So it kind of identifies that group right in between that would be on the, on the cusp of arbitration and the people that are on the higher end in terms of, of service time are in a special designation here, which is super two players. If two or more players are tied at 22%, all such players shall be eligible. Oh my so God. It, it is, it's a little ridiculous, but it, it does give a, a, bit of an advantage for players that are playing a little bit more to get to that arbitration point a little bit sooner, but it's, it seems just so unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. So, so the gist now is um, they proposed a, a pay increase after you hit your second year of major league service time. So the year before you hit arbitration, that last pre-arbitration year, you're going to get a pay jump there. Uh, But there is some issue here. I think there's also issue within the players union because um, every player with a singular day of service time on this date is grandfathered into the old rule. So it doesn't affect any current major league baseball player. The only players that it affects are the Spencer Torkelsons and the CJ Abrams and everybody else that hasn't sniffed major league baseball yet. Yeah. It's, it's such a weird specific point too, where it's like a player with at least two, but less than three years. Yeah. That's in the top 22% of that group. Just like, let's just simplify this thing and just get guys to be eligible for arbitration sooner. And let's just leave it at that. Like, what is this 22% of players in between the two and three year mark just to be able to identify some players that are being used more to get a little bit of an expedited process to arbitrate. Like, no, let's just make this a little bit simpler and, and just make it the way it should be. Uh, And I think the rule in itself is just too confusing. If fans can't follow it, then, then why are we doing something like this? Yeah. And I understand the contractual jargon, like in the NBA, you've got bird rights and, and things like that. You've got a whole bunch of things that go over most fans heads and, you know, fans might sometimes also get confused with restricted versus unrestricted free agency and things like that and matching offer sheets and things like that. But if you really dive in there, you can kind of wrap your head around what's going on here with this. It just feels like it's layered and layered and layered. And it's like, okay, why are we battling for 30 players right now? Like that is the super two group. And and the super two thing too, also just makes it more 
incentivizing, I guess, for, for teams to really manipulate service time. So you don't, want, you don't want your player to be in the top 22% because then he's a super two player, which is an advantage to him. Right. So they did it for the players. Right. But at the same time, it just further incentivizes teams to manipulate service time. And, and but, Major League Baseball also came to this video call on Thursday with the master plan to end service time manipulation. And that <laughs> is to provide additional draft picks as an incentive to promote guys to the big sooner. So naturally, yes, the Detroit Tigers are looking at Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green and saying, you know what, let's get them up. Uh, let's send them into free agency a year sooner so we can get this 10th round draft pick. That'll be perfect. Yeah, I think the elimination of the Super 2 arbitration system is a way better start than that. Right. And I think there's a legitimate chance that we could see it eliminated because I just think it's stupid. Um, and, and if I'm not mistaken, MLB was is showing some pretty solid willingness to eliminate that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's the best case there. But when it comes to the the prospect thing, um, the top 100 ranked prospect on its opening day roster that finishes in the top five in voting for a major award, which means MVP, Cy Young or Rookie of the Year during one of his arbitration eligible seasons the team would receive a bonus draft pick. I, I don't even know how to fully feel about that. Cause well, first of all, whose rankings are we taking a, a consensus? Like, are we taking it from baseball America fan graphs and MLB.com and just baseball and just baseball. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Because all of these top 100s are so different, and MLB.com's top 100 to me is is slower to catching up, right? Yeah. So if you, you have some players that I'm very excited about that I have we have on our top 100 that aren't on MLB.com's that and are they're nowhere not, close to sniffing MLB.com's. No, and they could be up next year. And teams value them the way. And I'm not saying our list is better than MLB.com's. I'm just saying there's definitely some players that are missing off of some other top 100 lists that we're higher on and maybe vice versa too. But the larger point being there's players that aren't on those top 100 lists like Trevor Rogers, for example, man, I'm yelling to the, to the heavens about Trevor Rogers before this year, the Marlins were absolutely amped on this guy before the year. He's not on a single top 100 list. Right? So, and maybe one after pitching well at the end of 2020, that guy would not have been eligible for for this type of protection that would allow him to potentially not get his service time manipulated because of the fact that uh, it would be incentivized for teams to to bring him up right away. But everybody's looking at this guy as a top 100 prospect in the front office realm, but not in the you know writers realm for MLB.com's top 100. And now that's going to benefit teams. Like you're going to have teams withholding information on prospects. You're going to have teams that are trying to like fudge with the rankings because that would benefit them because they could still manipulate their service time. Like I, I don't think that this makes any sense because we've seen that there's a large discrepancy between prospect rankings and where teams actually value some of these prospects. No, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the NL rookie of the year this year and Trevor Rogers, like you mentioned, I mean, he's not, he's not close to, to near the top and he's one of the best pitchers in baseball this year right now. John India wasn't sneak sniffing the top 100 list. 
Not at all. He was 53 pre the 2019 season. And that was off of his draft year when he went top 10, he was not sniffing the top 100. And then he came out like gangbusters in the alt site in 2020. And then he comes up. Everybody knows if you did the reading that he was going to be the everyday second baseman on opening day. And he was not a top 50 prospect. Keep that in mind. There is no gauging this stuff. You have to contextualize it. And nobody's doing that right now with a lot of these major outlets. So how are you going to judge somebody like that? And how are you going to incentivize not holding a top 10 prospect down, right? Like try going to the Cubs and saying, you got to You got to get Chris Bryant up right now, or else you don't get your competitive balance round B pick. It's like, yeah. fuck you. I want another year of Chris Bryant. I, I think it's outrageous. It, it's, it's tough too, because on the, on the team side, right? Like if you and I are in the front office, it's easy to say, oh yeah, I wouldn't manipulate service time. But if you're trying to do your job to the best of your ability, why wouldn't you? You're going to manipulate service time if why you're trying you? to do your job. It's like it's like if the IRS missed some some taxes I owe. I'm not going to call them up and be like, oh, hey, you know, you, you missed another X amount here. Let me send that in. Right. This is a, not a loophole because it's pretty, pretty obvious and it's, it's front and center, but it's basically an issue in the system that teams can utilize to their, their advantage. So what they're trying to do is incentivize not doing that, but this is not necessarily the way to do it. I think it, an interesting start would be from a 40 man roster standpoint, because most of the time, if a prospect's close to big league ready, they're on your 40 man on the roster, 40 right? Because you had to protect them from the rule five draft, which I also think is great. The rule five draft is phenomenal for, you know, getting players up to the big leagues and not having them just stashed away. Yes. I think that could work hand in hand with the 40 man roster, right? If, if a guy's on your 40 man roster for X amount of time, you got to bring him up. Or if he's on your 40 man roster, that's where the draft pick incentive could come in because you have a lot of really good prospects that are on the 40 man. Uh, and, and again, like if they're not on the 40 man yet, it's because they haven't been stashed in the minor leagues that long. Sure. You're going to have the Bobby Witts of the world that fly up, but I think for the most part, this would kind of help to a degree. I, I would say like Chris Bryant, probably was on the 40 man at that point. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's a start like having 40 man roster guys being eligible for, for this kind of specific thing, because it's just so hard to conceptualize which prospects should be eligible and which prospects aren't because it's just such a fluid and abstract thing. When we're talking about ranking prospects in general, uh, I just don't know if, if going by top 100 rankings is the way to, to do this. Yeah, man. And I mean, listen, like you mentioned how volatile prospect rankings are. Like we're starting Padres week right now. Mackenzie Gore was a consensus, like best pitching prospect in baseball coming into this year. And now he's mid sixties, mid seventies right now. Yeah. Uh, it, it just changes with the flick of a switch. Um, another thing that major league baseball proposed was to make the draft order a little bit more like the NBA with a lottery system and not like the NFL where you just give the number one overall pick to the worst team. I like that. I don't yeah. like no tanking brainer. for one, one, no brainer, no brainer, because especially when you get into the dog days and you have teams just rolling out like the Orioles uh, pitching staff that we talked about, forget that. I did that. That does not bode well for baseball when you just have, 
teams fully mailing it in. And I think they'll probably still mail it in to a degree, but if you disincentivize that at least a little bit, they, a team knows that they're not going to for sure get the first round pick. Why mail it in then? Yeah, then maybe you'll be more willing to, to call up some prospects and, and put better product on the field to fill seats because you're like, okay, there's no difference between us being the worst record or the third worst record. So we might as well put a semi-decent pro- uh, product out there right. and, and give fans a reason to come here. Uh, I, I think that there's uh, the DH and the draft lottery, I think should be no, no brainers. Yeah. Um, what they agree on, they agree on two things already. So there we go. We can check two things off here. Uh, we are two steps closer to ending this lockout. Both Major League Baseball and the Players Union agree that there should be a universal DH. That's my understanding here. That's Bob Nightingale's understanding at USA Today. Both sides agree that there should be a universal DH. So thank the Lord we are done seeing pitchers hit. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh, 100%. And I think that's that's all but but settled. Uh, back to the, the prospect thing. Yeah. Uh, Tim Derrick, he's of, I think, I'm, am I saying that right? D-I-R-K-E-S. How would you pronounce that? D-I-R-K-E-S. Dirks. Dirks? Really? I think so. Tim Dirks. Yeah, that does sound way better. Tim Dirks of MLB Trade Rumors. He's actually very excited about that proposal uh, on the prospect side. And he used Vlad Jr. as an example, which I think is, is an interesting example because Vlad Jr. was held back until April 26th in 2019. They mentioned yeah. that. And, uh, obviously, he didn't have the biggest year his first year, but this is for his for all years through up to arbitration, right? So he ends up finishing second in MVP voting this year. And that would have got, you know, the Jays the 31st pick or 32nd pick in the draft. That's a pretty solid incentive there, right? They delayed calling up Vlad Guerrero and that was annoying, right? We were all saying, here we go again. Yeah. uh, When he wasn't called up till April 26th. My question is, would you rather have one extra year of Vlad or the 31st overall pick? I know my answer. One extra year of Vlad. No, I mean, the 31st pick could be a gem. Okay, good. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Honestly, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Um, But no, I think you're ultimately, you're getting, you're getting a first round pick essentially there. That does make it. Wait, hold on. I, before we move, I was being totally sarcastic. I want more and more a year of Vlad. Okay. I was trying not to embarrass you on the podcast. I was, I was very confused for a Oh second. my God. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I think I would be a, a absolute idiot if I said that I wanted the 31st pick instead of one more year of Vlad Guerrero Jr. Oh, I know. I made a mental note. I was going to talk about it after we stopped okay. recording. Yeah. You know, I wasn't in the mood to, to dunk on you. Today. I understand. I've, I've That's seen very the Chicago nice Bulls. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the Chicago Bulls play for the last week. I don't think you need any more. Yeah, we'll finish the lockout talk. Then we'll talk about the yeah, Bulls here. I know, I know. I just had to drop that a little Easter. Fair. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's good, though. I, there's there's a lot of situations where you're going to lean towards the pick, right? Vlad Jr. is, is the pinnacle uh, in terms of prospect value, right? This is a guy that, that uh, pushed the limits of what we've seen. I'd say him and Wander are in, in their own bucket in terms of prospect excitement that we've seen over the last decade. Uh, so it, it's a little bit of a unique example there. I think it's a good example for Tim to look at, uh, but what about when we're talking about the guys like the Corbin Carroll's of the world, right? Yeah. A guy that is super good, but I don't think he's competing for an MVP in his second year. Hell right? No. I don't think he's an all-star in his second year. And I love Corbin Carroll. I think he's going to be a very above average regular. So how do you, how do you get the reward for Corbin Carroll? 
when he's probably not going to be a rookie of the year. He's not going to finish top three in MVP. How many guys even do that? Not many at all in their first three seasons. This protects the Vlad juniors and the Fernando Tatises and those types. But you know what, dude, those aren't the only guys getting manipulated here with service time. This is happening to the Corbin Carroll's of the world and the Alec Thomas's of the world. And, and I'm not just picking on the diamondbacks. I don't even think they're going to no, keep going. Christian Robinson. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But those are guys that I just look at off the top of my head that are like close to big league ready should make an impact right away, uh, but they're, they're not going to be all-stars. I, I look at, you know, even other players, we look at it through the top 100. I mean, I would even argue that Adley Rutschman probably won't even be a MVP finalist in his arbitration years, right? He might not win rookie of the year because he might slump a little bit. And now you're not getting a draft pick, but you threw him on your roster opening day. Now there's like this absurd pressure on the prospects to perform right out of the gate. And I, I think it's a weird, I think it's a good try. I just, I think it only works for the elite of the elite and how many prospects are rolling out and are MVP finishers in their arbitration years, in the first four seasons. It's just not that common. Listen, you said this only benefits the elite of the elite, but you got to keep in mind, we're talking about 30 billionaires right now. Like that's who baseball's arguing with right now. 30 billionaires. So we are talking about the elite of the elite right now. Baseball is a sport where when when you looked at the conversations during the stoppage due to COVID in 2020, I mean, you had guys like Max Scherzer pounding the pavement for no salary proration here. Like, we are talking about multi-multi-millionaires only making multi-millions of dollars and not having the second multi. So, like, that's why this is, I think, pissing everybody off. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. And I just, I'm, my problem is here. I'm a big proponent of not, and I've mentioned this a few times, right, especially when we get into this topic not just shooting down an idea and then not offering a better solution. And that's the thing is I think this idea is just not quite there, but what's a better solution? I don't don't know. know. It's complex. (laughs) It's really hard. It's really hard. So is this better than nothing? Yeah. So that's the thing. So are we cool with it? I guess. guess. But the problem is, is what is a top 100 process? We go back to the basis of it, right? Right. Because, this is another instance here where I have some guys like way up there that, you know, I don't even know if are on the top 100 list for some other for where they'd be basing it off of. So at that point, what, what happens with those guys? A Jose Miranda that here's my perfect example. Jose yeah, Miranda of twins. the Minnesota twins. He's 76 on our top 100. I think he's starting to creep into other top 100s, but you'd be surprised. I don't think, I don't think he's on MLB pipelines. If he is, he may have just recently been added regardless he's not on that many lists that's a dude that should have been up last year uh and that's a dude that should be up opening day next year but if he doesn't get that protection you know with the with the rule and he doesn't fit under that umbrella he's not getting called up yeah say hey to may 10th yeah exactly and you know what mj melendez would fit in that same bucket because he came into the year and was not you know an insanely highly ranked prospect and i don't think we're seeing the prospect rankings totally come around on him yet like that either so what if you're a breakout guy that puts it together like you're not getting protected even like a i I just i just think that there's definitely not enough there but i don't know if there's a better solution well dude how about like brash how about matt brash and yeah matt brash yeah same deal came out of freaking nowhere and you know what 
I think he, he should be up potentially pretty early next year, but that won't happen. It right. won't happen. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a really fluid topic that there, there has to be some more ideas fleshed out here, but I do think that there's an angle from the 40 man roster component. Like if he's on the 40 man, the clock should be ticking like just because you put him on the 40 man and it protects him from the rule five. There should be another clock that's ticking there. Like right. from a certain point, when you put somebody on the 40 man, they have to be called up X amount of days afterward, or, you know, you're not going to be able to hold on to that guy. Like he's going to be thrown back into the rule five bucket, like the right. rule five draft. You protect a guy on the 40 man for X amount of time because Miranda's a guy that late bloomer, this protects. So this would protect the late bloomers, right? Because the late bloomers are the ones that are ending up being rule five eligible because they're in the minors for longer because they didn't quickly climb up like a Miranda. Yeah. This would protect them because it's like, oh, they're on the 40 man roster because they're good and the team doesn't want them to get snatched away. Right. And getting put on the 40 man is like that breath of fresh air for teams. It's like, okay, the clock resets now. We yeah. don't have to worry about that anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And for players, it's, it's some don't want to be like some yeah. want to get picked in the rule five draft. Right. So there's players that if, if they feel like they're going to be stashed still, I know guys, the players I've talked to in the minor leagues this year that were hoping to not be added to the 40 man because they knew if they got selected to the rule five, guess what it does. It forces the team to bring you up to the major leagues. There should still be a clock for guys that are added to the 40 man of their own team to have to get brought up at a certain point. Uh, I think that would really make sense because when you have players wanting to get displaced from their current team, not because they don't like the franchise, but because it's advantageous to be selected in the rule five draft. Yeah, it shouldn't be that drastic. I hear you. I, I absolutely hear you. And the thing is, like, the, the sentiment is there. Um, and as fans, it's like we're holding. It's like we really have to pee and, and we're squirming around. Right. Like, we just want to get this show on the road. We want to get moving because we just want baseball to happen on time. But like they got to sort this shit out. And this is the, the one time every however many years that they have to actually sort this shit out. So we, we talk about that. We talk about what they disagree on. They agree that there should be a universal DH. They also agree on postseason expansion. How many teams are in the postseason is where they differ. The players union wants 12 teams in the postseason. Major League Baseball wants the expanded slate to 14. There, you can't meet in the middle at 13. I would say 12 because what I like about the MLB postseason is it's short and sweet and you have the best teams in it and some good teams Hard. miss. I'd rather have some good teams miss than some bad teams get in. I mean, look at, look at football right now, the NFL playoffs, like the wild card's been, I, I think a lot of these games have been a dud, right? Dud. I, I, there's no business for, for the Steelers to be in there. I, that was a blowout. I, I think that the Patriots, they had no business being in there. That was a blowout. Like we had a lot of dud games. I, I think we would see the same in an expanded baseball postseason. You'd have some teams at 14. That's half the league. 14 is half the league, right? I mean, what I love about baseball is how hard it is to get into the postseason. And then when you're in there, yes, it's baseball. Anything can happen. But I, I think if you got like the Brewers against a team that – what's a team in the NL that was just like maybe the Reds. Let's say the Reds. Right. The Brewers' three pitchers would make such quick work, it would be a waste of time. Waste of time. It would, it would be a legit waste of time. And, and you know what? I think it'd be that's bad how, for ratings. And, and that's how I feel. Ba- that's how I feel about the one eight matchup in the NBA and the NHL. Oh, it's sometimes. a joke, man. It's a joke. 
Wait, when's the, what was the one eight one upset? Right, it's like it's happened like once. I think so. It was in our it was in our lifetime. It was it was twelve years ago, I think. But regardless, it's just so rare. It it would be the same thing, and it just wouldn't be fun. Like the eight one. So for example, I, you know I'm a Heat fan. When the Heat would play in the first round, when they had LeBron, Wade, and Bosh, I I love the Heat. I'd watch the first half and then I'd check out. They're playing like the Hornets, yeah. you know, or something. I don't care. The Hornets finished two games under 500 and they're playing LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. It was, it was a waste of time. That there was like nobody really excited to go to the games. I couldn't even convince my friends to go. It was just it was just not even worth the trip. That's I don't want the playoffs to get watered down in baseball like that. Like right out of the gate, we're debating Braves versus Brewers. Right. And I came out, remember, I was like, I think the Braves win this one. And that was like a hot take. Right. And they did it. But that's what you want. You want to be able to have a debate on the first round. If someone so, came to me and said the Hornets are beating the Heat in the first round, I'd be like, I'm going to check you into a mental health. institution." Right. So kind of same situation. My brother over the weekend, he goes to Santa Clara. He's a freshman at Santa Clara. He uh, he sat second row off the floor of the student section. Student section is on the baseline for Santa Clara Gonzaga. And Gonzaga was scoring on that goal against the Santa Clara score uh, against the Santa Clara student section in the first half. So he saw Drew Timmy have like 20 first half points. He saw Chet do some crazy shit. And then he left at halftime. I said, how could you leave at halftime? He said, everybody wanted to leave and it was a blowout. And I had already seen everything I needed to see Gonzaga wise. And I was like, you know what? Honestly, that that's fair because it's just not enjoyable for the back half oh, of those games. And like the no- eight ones, no fun. No, the eight ones no fun, and, and I think that's that's a problem with the NBA, and they expanded it even further, which is just hilariously dumb to me. Yeah, I don't want to see baseball water it down. I think twelve is a good number. I think it's good to expand it so you, that you have more teams in the hunt down the stretch. That is good. You have more meaningful games in September, uh, and and then going into the the one week in October. I think that's good. You have more teams that are you know relevant and alive. But other than that, I, I think fourteen just just saturates it too much and. That that's something that I think they'll get they'll get to. I think they'll settle on that. And I think hopefully 12 will be uh, where they want it. I, I think it tells you enough that the players don't even want it to be 14. Right? Yeah. There, there's nothing. There's no reason for the players not to want that other than the reasons that we're saying. Right. Um, couple things before we wrap with two minutes on the heat and the bulls here. There are two non-starters for Major League Baseball. Uh, MLB will not reduce the free agency period from six years in baseball to five years in baseball. You have to play six years in order to hit free agency. That is a non-starter. If the union says five years or we're not playing, like we're not going to see baseball if the union demands five years. Also the luxury tax is going to stay put at 214. The union wants it up to 245. major league baseball said, hell no, it's at 214. 214 is a slight bump though, from where it was, right? It was 210. Now it's up to 214. Yay. Yeah, uh, two forty five is nuts. That's I, a left I, field wall renovation there. Yeah, that is a left field wall. I think two forty five is crazy. I think that's a little high. It's stupid. I think you, you could meet in the middle there, two twenty, two twenty five. I think so. But yeah, four million bump. I don't even think calculates for like inflation. I, I think they've got to find a little bit more room than that. That's another one where I think they'll they'll, they'll settle that. I really think the biggest issue here is is service time manipulation. I, I really think that this is. 
one of the more difficult things to get to the bottom of, but are these players going to die on that Hill? Because again, it doesn't really affect them, right? It only affects the players that are in the minors. And we've seen in the past, they don't really go to bat for them too much. They're doing right. it a little bit more now. I think the best, the best solution is this eliminate super two. That that's a great start, right? Like that in itself will, will aid the, disincentivizing of bringing players up right away. And to be honest, I don't think anyone cares enough. No, no, just eliminate that shit. Um, I think they're on to something with the top 100 ranked prospect thing. I think that if we sat down and we put our heads together, I think if you and I sat down and put our heads together, we could come up with a better way to designate these players, right? I think that there's a better way to, if they're drafted in the first five rounds and they produce at a certain rate, you know, like there's, there's ways to figure this out to get to the bottom of this. And honestly, man, like I would be more willing to use even some advanced stats. WRC plus. I would rather use, I would rather use WRC plus with a minimum of a hundred games or something like that than to use prospect rankings. Yeah, no, I mean, this is coming from a guy who ranks prospects, right? Like for hitters, if you're putting up a WRC plus over 110 in more than a hundred career minor league games or something like a hundred is low, but you know, in, in over, I don't know, 500 career minor league games, 400 career minor league games, you have to be added to a 40 man, or you have to make your MLB debut in X number of days. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the big thing there too, is, is you're going to, your main prospects, you're going to want to get them as many at-bats and, and reps as, as you can. So these are guys that are going to get the reps are going to get the at-bats. Uh, they're going to want to develop them. So I think if you get a certain amount of, of repetition and you get a certain amount of production, you know, compiled up and you can do it in percentiles, like you can do dirt, different things. I think there's a way to be able to do that. The arbitration system in itself is a way of determining players' values. Obviously, we couldn't do it case by case with these players. That's the problem. But I think there's a way to be able to, uh, I, I, I think, identify which guys are potential candidates to have their service time manipulated. Yeah. There's almost a, 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 a the, the thing, too, that kind of tells me in it is you and I could sit here. I could rattle off 100 different prospects. And if I told you, you think his time would be your, do you think his service time would be manipulated? You would say, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And I bet you we'd have a pretty high degree of accuracy, right? There's just something there where we know which guys are and which guys aren't. And it's not just top 100 guys. There's just something there. And and I think there's a way to identify it. And I, I think these are enough smart people to get to the bottom of that. If they really want to, especially if you're not going to change the number of years. And the most ironic part about the number of years in free agency uh, argument is that teams are using the argument that, oh, well, our concern is that it'll mean that players stick with their original team even shorter because they get signed away and we get outbid. Yeah, that's because you're not spending money. Right. So it all just goes right back to them anyway. So, oh, no, no, our hands are tied. No, they're not. No, they're uh, not. So it's just an excuse for them to, to not spend money. And they're like, it's, it's just a wild circle that we're all running that all ends up going back to the same place, which is just owners being cheap. Yeah, and that's so, where it all goes back to. Apparently, last time they met, the union pitched things. Major League Baseball shot it down right away. They adjourned. Now they came back. Major League Baseball pitched things back to the union. 
Uh, they were reportedly unimpressed by all of it. They're hoping to hammer down another time to meet this week. According to USA Today, they both understand they need to come to a deal by tentatively the first week of February if they want spring training to start on time, which, by the way, is three weeks from now. Um, at the very latest, first week of March, to not lose any regular season games. Before we wrap with the Heat and Bulls conversation for two minutes, because I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, uh, just real quick, yes or no, does the Major League Baseball season lose games? No. I still don't think so. I say yes. You, oh, you're getting, you're getting more uh, bearish, huh, on, on things here. Yeah, I just, I just think you've got uh, – Elmo is Elmo's beefing with Rocco right now. Rocco's a rock. He has no legs. Have you seen that stuff right no. now? Elmo's been flaming a rock recently. It's pretty hilarious. But I feel like these are just like Elmo and a rock having a conversation, and it's just not really going to work right now. So I, I think they're just going to keep on butting heads until they're like, oh, shit, we're cut down to 135 this year. Let's get moving. <laughs> it might not be a bad thing. We need we need less games. But no, no, I <laughs> want to start on time. I, I think they're going to find a way because at the end of the day, both sides lose money. And I think that's going to be what brings them together. I also just had an idea as we were talking about this. What if you had the minor leaguers vote on their peers, right? Like you're voting, you run a, you cast a poll across every single minor leaguer in their league, and they identify the most impressive players in their league. Can we run and it through are- just baseball? Can we use Google Forms? <laughs> Google Forms. But that's <laughs> how you identify the players that fit into that group of service time manipulation candidates. Their peers voting on it. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing because that's something I bring into the prospect analysis I do too is I like to hold myself accountable if I have a hot take. If I have something, I reach out to players. I, I think this guy's a lot better than the industry gives him credit for. Like, what are your thoughts? And I go, like, oh, yeah, definitely. When I, you know, I've always thought that this guy was a stud or whatever, or, or maybe not. Arm, you're high <laughs> <laughs> or you're nuts. Yeah. yeah. It's a great way to, to fact check yourself. Doesn't mean I'm always going to listen to it, but it is a good way to fact check yourself. Who's going to know better than the players who are playing against each other. That's how we do a lot of things with the way, you know, all-star games are selected. And, and is that the way that they, that they do all pro and football, right? Uh, maybe i don't know but i don't know what do you think about that idea i don't hate it i like it better than an arbitrary list right so and and on the prospect side by the way i just launched the call up finally we talked about how it was like oh this is the last prospect episode it's live i just did underrated prospects uh that was the first episode Uh, definitely go subscribe the call up I'm really excited about it. We got a lot of fun interviews on the way. Um, and that podcast is going to be a lot of fun. So, and you'll be on that, I'm sure, very soon. So, very excited about that. And uh, definitely go check that out. Very soon. A uh, couple of underrated guys. You, you highlighted Curtis Mead in the Rays system, like yet another guy who could plug in and be an infielder for the Tampa Bay Rays. We talked about. You know, like something that I think a lot of people that watch the Rays realized was that when Taylor Walls came up and it wasn't Wander Franco, there was this huge letdown, like everybody shrugged their shoulders. Yeah. But then they realized that Taylor Walls was like the best defensive shortstop of all time. Yes. Tampa pumps these fuckers out. At one after another. And Walls is poised to kind of replace Joey Wendell. Uh, that's why they traded him. And that's the annoying thing is they flip Wendell. They go get a super athletic outfielder prospect in Cameron Meisner and then they just replace a guy that will do the same exact thing Wendell did in Taylor Walls and it's just it's so annoying 
it's so annoying, but you know, props to them. I'm super excited to talk about those kind of things. Uh, so I know that it's, it's kind of hard to find the podcast right now. Cause it's like still so new on, on Apple podcast. So if you can't find the call up, go over to my Twitter, uh, at arm late Nate, and, uh, it's in my bio the the link to uh, the, the Twitter account there, uh, for the call up. And then you can keep up there as well. I'll also have you link it in the episode description. Boom. Genius. There we go. This is why you get the big box. Galaxy brain. Yeah, I'm still waiting on that big buck paycheck, actually. I'm hoping I get one of the oversized paychecks like uh, uh, Dukes in semi-pro. I'm hoping that... I'm going to present you with $100 and a giant, giant... uh, Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I'm going to do the underbite smile. Hey, uh, 2.30 p.m. TNT, the Bulls take on the Grizzlies here. Bulls coming off of three straight losses. Uh, Alex Caruso back in the lineup. I've got a trade to pitch you here. Caruso, okay, here's the thing. You were shitting on my bulls. Understandable. Totally understandable after like 260 combined points uh, after getting thrashed uh, by Golden State. And I already blocked the first game out of my memory. Brooklyn, by the way, that sucks that KD's out four to six weeks. Thank goodness it wasn't torn ACL. but Oh, my God. he That is the greatest offensive player of all time. I'm going to stand by that. Yes. Oh, my God. Seven-foot guy who can shoot. And off the dribble, catch and shoot, take it to the rim. He can do everything. That dude, that dude has two of the coolest nicknames ever, Durantula and the Slim Reaper. And he hates him, I think. <laughs> he hates him. Um, he also has the, the coolest commercial of all time. It's the Gatorade commercial, I want to say. I'm mm-hmm. not talking about who's the best. I'm talking about who's the baddest. Yeah. And it was Kevin Durant. Like that thing was so badass. But yeah, a quick recovery to Kevin Durant. But the Bulls, I think they are a big away from being a serious contender. I think they need a little bit more size. Uh, so I'm going to throw you this here. Kobe White, I think, is expendable right now. Yes. Kobe White and a pick swap to Orlando for Mo Bamba. Why would they want another point guard, though? I think they can move forward with him. I, don't I think know. Kobe White's a scorer. Like, I think on his best year, Kobe White's 18 a game, maybe 20 a game. Him and Cole Anthony coexist. Him and Cole Anthony. I mean, Suggs, like, you just have this gluttony of guards there. Markel Fultz. Yeah, but, like, Fultz is not the answer here. I think Kobe White's a better a better plan moving forward than, than Fultz. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. I think it's a good trade. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Wendell Carter. <laughs> yeah. Get him back. No, that that ship is sailed. As I shed a tear, I'm also kind of pissed. Lowry Markkinen in Cleveland now because he's he's having a resurgence. He, yeah, I'm not. I won't hold my breath on that one though. I I don't I don't believe it. But I, we get the trade done one on Wednesday, right? For the NBA, I think so. That'll be fun. That'll that will fun. be fun. Uh, your bulls are, are stuck. I think you guys are going to run into a bit of a wall, especially with Levine out. Hope Levine comes back. The Heat will finish. The number one seed in the East Damn. with KD out with Levine out. Damn. The heat will finish. They get bam back this week. Head of Milwaukee. And they're like behind. They're behind. Get, yeah. But heat, like Giannis, the heat will finish number one in the East. They get Oladipo soon too. And I think they might make a deal. Don't sleep on Pat Riley. Don't sleep on Pat Riley. Damn. I love bam out of bio. I've been a bam truther for a long time. Much so like awesome. being a Lonzo ball truther. Lonzo, I, and I love Lonzo. We can yeah. we can meet in the middle there. 
Lonzo's been a bucket. And he's going to have to step his game up without Levine out. He's going to be a little bit more of a scorer. Yeah. So it's going to be hey, fun to watch. Kings supporting Kings. I got Bam out of bio. You got Lonzo Ball. It's going to be go. ugly when the Heat play the Bulls in the, in the postseason. Just know wow. that. Damn. I'm so looking forward to that, though. He's yeah. Aram. I'm Jack. Every, ep- or, uh, every link you need, including the link to the call-up, Aram's new prospect podcast, is in the episode description. It's an iPad episode tomorrow. I break out the whiteboard on the iPad with Pete as we play GM of the San Diego Padres. It's going to be a good one tomorrow.